The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Jesus taught us to watch and fight and pray. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I know some of you have been a bit uncomfortable with the content the last two days and last week and several weeks before that, but please wait on the Lord and ask him if what I'm teaching you is true. Search the scriptures. There's so much deception out there about who Jesus is. This Jesus who taught us that we must, we must lose our lives. We must die. We must be born from above. The flesh, this human flesh cannot enter the kingdom of God. We have to be transformed. I'm not thinking about anything but eternal death and eternal life. And it's my purpose, without in any way trying to please you, to present to you very cleanly and very clearly the reality of eternal death and eternal life. This is more serious than anything else you can think about. Nothing begins to measure up to this issue of can you enter the kingdom of God? If he came today, would you be saved? Or would you be lost for eternity? I come and spend my life gladly, freely, that you might find life, that you might be brought into the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to begin reading for you today in Luke 17. This is by way of review from yesterday. This is Luke 17, verse 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. If you stop and think about that for a moment, it was millions of people died that day. The wrath of God is very, very real. And in Romans, the first chapter, it tells us that if you walk in disobedience to the Lord, you are storing up wrath for yourself against that great day of judgment. Verse 28, in the same, in the days of Lot, people were eating, drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. In other words, they were just living out their cultural norms. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from the heavens and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. 
stop just a minute. I have never, in all the funerals I've done, I've never seen a U-Haul truck following the hearse. When you die, it's over. And family or friends have to dispose of all of your earthly belongings. It's over. You don't take anything with you. And when Jesus comes, he's saying, don't try to grab anything to take it to heaven with you. Leave it behind. He says, verse 32, remember Lot's wife? Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. The husband or the wife will be taken. And the other one will be left behind to die. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. In other words, where those people who are left behind, they're going to just be bodies. They're going to die. And the vultures will eat them. How horrific is this? Then Jesus tells his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So in the midst of telling us these horrible things that happened to Noah and his generation, and all that happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, Jesus comes back and tells us a parable and says, Now listen, you better always pray. You better cry out. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. Who is our adversary? The world, the flesh, the devil, and ourselves. He's saying for some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what that unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He's saying at the end of time, people are going to stop praying. They're going to stop crying out to me. They're not going to believe in me. All you have to do is read Second Timothy, and you see very clearly that Timothy was told by the Apostle Paul that that would be the case in the last days. And then he goes on, there were some confident of their own righteousness, and looked down on everybody else. And Jesus told them this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you, I'm not like other men, robbers and evildoers and adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So Jesus is very clearly giving us, through the Apostle Luke, a clear understanding that we must cry out to God and that we must take the position of the Pharisee, no, the publican. We must humble our hearts before God. We must seek his face. Oh, my brother, my sister. Then comes this story of the rich young ruler. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. 
this man turns away and walks away from Jesus because he is a man of great wealth, many properties. And Jesus said, Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than of a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples said, Who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, What is impossible for men is possible with God. I want you to hear that. Your salvation is possible. There is no reason for you to be lost. But it will require that you cry out to Jesus, that you humble your heart, that you turn aside from the way of this culture and this world, and you forget about the things everybody else is lusting after, and you go after Jesus in prayer, crying out to Jesus. Most of you pray very politely. Now I lay me down to sleep. Childish prayers. Now Jesus is talking about intense, crying out, agonizing prayers. You will never escape the condition of the Laodicean church without intense, crying out to God out loud. You say, but pastor, I don't have any Feelings of conviction about that. Well, the reason you don't have feelings of conviction about that is that you haven't been thinking about it. You haven't seen the horror of death that you're walking toward as a, a man who is miserable and blind and naked and wretched and poor. And you don't even know it because you haven't really looked at it. You haven't really thought about it. You accepted what you were told. You're a wonderful person. You're on your way to heaven. You're, you've got it made. Jesus loves you. He forgave all of your past, present, and future sins. Lie, lie, lie. He did not. So Jesus... He's then approaching Jericho. And as he's going into Jericho, there's a blind man sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard the crowd going by, he asked, What's happening? They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Well, he'd heard about Jesus. He calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way, rebuked him, and told him to be quiet. The modern church does not like loud crying out and humbling of our hearts. They don't like groaning in the church. They don't like they don't like any embarrassment in the church. Jesus is doing this, and we're being told this parable by by Luke in the context that I've shared with you. It means that we're going to have to cry out like this man cried out, Bartimaeus. We're going to have to cry out to the Lord. It is going to be embarrassing. We're going to have to tremble before Almighty God. We're going to have to totally give ourselves to searching after Jesus. People rebuked him and said, be quiet. Stop praying. You can't pray that way. Be quiet. You're embarrassing us. But this man shouted all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. That's my prayer before God today. Oh, Jesus, have mercy on me. Oh, Jesus, have mercy on me. I'm so far away from you. I'm, I'm so lukewarm. I refuse to be lukewarm. Lord, send your spirit. Quicken my heart. I see how far I am from you. Son of David, have mercy on me. 
And finally, Jesus stops. Now, please hear. Blind Bartimaeus was not on Jesus' agenda. It wasn't on his list of to-do things. He was on his way out of Jericho, on his way to Jerusalem. He finally stops. If you want to stop Jesus, you're going to have to cry out like blind Bartimaeus. There are no shortcuts for this. If you want revival, don't say, I want revival, and then you don't cry out to God like blind Bartimaeus. You're going to have to cry out to God. You're going to have to say, Almighty God, look at me. I'm cold of heart. My mouth speaks things that I don't want to say. My my heart is jealous when I don't want to be jealous. My Oh, God, have mercy on me, Jesus. Jesus stops and orders that the man be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? In another of the Gospels, this story is told, Mark. And it says he threw off his outer garment. Now he's a blind man. If he's not healed, he's not going to find that garment again. Somebody may steal it. He throws off his covering, his warmth. He throws off what he has to protect him. And he's led to Jesus. That only happens through intense prayer in the closet. I can't tell you how vital what I'm saying is to you. If you want revival, don't just say, don't just talk it, act on it. And the way you act on it is you get in the prayer closet and you cry out to God and you let him expose the sin of your heart. And then you let him wash you clean so that you stand before God covered in the robes of righteousness. Lord, I want to see. Lord, I want revival. Lord, bend me. Lord, break me. Lord, change my heart. I love this world too much. I love my life too much. I'm too comfortable, Lord. Change me. Wash me. Break me. Bend me. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. Now I've got to come back. And I've got to ask the question, who is this Jesus who tells us we must lose our lives? Who is this Jesus? Is he the half-brother of Satan? Or is he God? Is Satan the created being created by Jesus? Or is he simply a spirit brother of Jesus? Are you and I simply spirit brothers of Jesus and the devil? Or are we God's creation? Fallen, wicked, sinful, without any possibility of redemption or salvation except as God himself comes and opens a way, allows himself to be crucified for us and to die for us.
What is the truth? I want to tell you very bluntly. Jesus is not the half-brother of the devil as some churches teach. Jesus is not a created being. Jesus was not created in the womb of Mary. For the first time he is born. The father did not come down and have sex with Mary, as some churches believe. The Holy Spirit came and created in Mary that baby. Fully man and fully God. So when Jesus comes and says, you must lose your life, you must pray, you must humble your heart, you must be like the publican, and you must cry out, it's God telling us these things. My brother, my sister, I don't want to say this to you. And I disagreed with the Holy Spirit in trying to get me to say it, but I have to say it. I don't come here to please you or to cause you to like me or dislike me. I come to simply speak what I know to be true from the scriptures. And I can tell you now, that if you do not listen to what I'm going to say to you, you will die in your sin. And I know you've been taught, many of you have been taught by false pastors, false teachers, that when Jesus died on the cross, all of your sins were forgiven forever in the future and you don't need to repent again. And there's no reason why you need to cry out because you're saved and you're on your way to heaven. No, what God did at the cross was make the full atonement. And if you don't access that through repentance and losing your life and allowing Jesus to apply that to your life, you will be lost. You will die. It's not Ray saying that, it's Jesus. Now I want to read for you a description from the scriptures that gives a very clear identifier of who this man, Jesus, is, who is saying that you must pray and you must lose your life and you must enter by the narrow gate, not the broad way. This is Colossians, the first chapter. I'll begin reading in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. Now let's be clear. He's speaking here about Jesus after he is born as a man God, fully man and fully God, upon the earth. He was preexistent. He has existed from eternity. Well, well, let me show you that. It's over here in the book of John. I could show you a number of different places where it says this, but, but let's go to John. In the beginning was the word, the logos. Well, what is logos? Logos is that creative power before, be, the creative power that exists that creates all things in the beginning of this world jesus did not have a beginning he is from everlasting to everlasting there has never been a time when jesus and the father and the holy spirit did not exist they have been forever in the beginning was the word 
The word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is every bit as much God as the Father or the Holy Spirit. He is fully God. He was with God in the beginning. That is the beginning of this world. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not been able to overcome it. Now let's come back to Colossians, the first chapter. He is the image of the invisible God. Remember when the disciples were asking, could we see the Father? And he said, have you been with me so long? If you see me, you've seen the Father. What does he mean? He doesn't mean the physical body. The Father does not have a physical body. Jesus did not have a physical body before he was born as a man. The Holy Spirit does not have a physical body, but they are spirit bodies. They are more real than physical bodies. Now it says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. Remember, he is God. He is the Almighty. Now, there are some who argue that there is only one, and that is Jesus, and the Father and the Holy Spirit are parts of Jesus. I don't ascribe to that. I don't think the scriptures teach that. Jesus did not speak to himself at the baptism when the father spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That was not Jesus talking to Jesus. Or on the Mount of Transfiguration, it wasn't Jesus talking to Jesus when the father spoke and said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. No, there are three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But everything was created by Jesus. In the beginning, in the beginning, Genesis 1-1, God created. Jesus created. Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death that is on the cross, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free of accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel you heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Please understand, it is Jesus, it is the God of creation, it is the God of heaven and earth, who comes and tells us, if you don't choose 
to die to yourself by the power of the blood of Jesus, you will die eternally. That's why this is such a phenomenal passage of Scripture that I was reading for you out of the book of Luke. Because he's saying, you must pray. You must cry out to God. You must understand that many will make every effort to enter the kingdom of God and they will fall short. Who can be saved? Jesus said, with man that's impossible, but with God all things are possible. In other words, there is the assurance that we can enter heaven, but it's going to require a total different kind of effort on our part to repent and be broken and to become holy before him. And it's going to require, it's going to require a different kind of prayer. This casual, tame prayer is not going to cut it. It's not going to take us into the presence of God. We are confident in our own righteousness. And that was the Pharisee. We're going to have to humble our hearts. And and I'm not talking here about Human effort will save you. It won't. You can only be saved by the power of God. Salvation is a supernatural work of God that he does in a sinner. But the sinner has to show his seriousness by crying out against his sin. And I know that most of you who are listening today are serious about Jesus or you would not be listening. You would have already turned this broadcast off. You would have fled. But I also want you to hear the truth. And that is that tame praying will accomplish nothing in the spirit that we're going to have to learn how to cry out to God with deep feelings of conviction and sorrow for how we have treated Almighty God. He has gone to every possible, every possible thing he could do to open heaven for you and for me. And we think it's a cakewalk. We think we can just walk in confident in our own righteousness. Jesus loves me. I'm loved. I'm saved. I'm on my way. No, you're not. If you look over here at another passage of Scripture, and I'm a little shy of going to this, but I need to. John, the sixth chapter, I'll begin reading in verse 53. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. It raises the question, what have I been eating and what have I been drinking? Of course, he's speaking in spiritual language. So let's speak about it in spiritual language. What is it that you eat? You eat entertainment. You eat bitterness and anger. You eat self-righteousness. You drink pride. You eat and drink the ways of the culture in which we belong, 
And Jesus is saying, you're going to have to change that. You're going to have to begin to eat the flesh of Son of God and drink his blood because you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. When we die to self, we give up all of those things that we've been eating and drinking. Some of you have been feasting on self-condemnation, bitterness, anger. Some of you have been feasting on YouTube, television, and hobbies, and all the other things in the world that can attract your attention. You know what? I love water sports. I love kayaking and blue water sailing. If I had my way, I'd live on a sailboat on the ocean, and I'd go from port to port. I'd live the life of the sailor. That's what would be satisfying to my heart. You know what? That's not what I eat. Because I want to make another trip. I want to make a trip to heaven. Now, am I saying that if you're in a sailboat, you can't be saved? No, of course not. Hear what I'm saying spiritually. I'm saying the desires of my heart, the lust of my heart, takes a place of dying in me so that I can be here to speak to you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. My first calling is to walk with Jesus, is to obey Jesus. I don't worry about money. I don't worry about health. I don't worry about social acceptance. I don't worry about Anything save that of the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm concerned. I don't worry, but I'm very concerned about you because Jesus has called you to listen to this broadcast. I don't want to mislead you. I don't want to lie to you. I want you to understand you must be pure and clean and holy before God, washed by the blood without sin, walking under the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. You must be filled with the Spirit of God. Pride and arrogance, the lust of our hearts, our own desires, those things have to be put away. You cannot enter heaven with those things. That's what I'm reading to you. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. That is, Jesus is the one who gives your body strength, your spirit body strength, and your physical body strength. The Word of God says that in Romans, the 8th chapter, the same spirit that resurrected Jesus from the dead will come and quicken your mortal body. He does that for me. He quickens my mortal body. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. In other words, if the cry of my heart is Jesus, and I cry out for him until he comes to me, and fills me with the Holy Spirit, and deals with my pride and my arrogance, and he removes from me the wickedness of my heart. I am made righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not, I am not made righteous by works of the law. I am made righteous by faith in the Son of the living God, and his blood comes and washes me clean literally. 
and makes me righteous so that I don't continue to walk in sin. Every heretical movement in history has begun by misunderstanding or purposely perverting who Jesus is and what his blood has done for us and is willing to do. And so there are those who teach that in contrary to Hebrews, the 10th chapter, they teach that the blood of Jesus can only cover your sin, not remove it. They're lying. It's a perversion of the gospel. It's not the real gospel. You're going to have to sit down with Jesus. You're going to have to lay on the floor. You're going to have to sit in your chair. And you're going to have to feed on Jesus. And you feed on Jesus by reading his word, by prayer, by supplication, by crying out to God for justice against your adversaries until you have the victory. And I'm going to tell you, once you gain the victory, you're going to be dancing and shouting and saying, Hallelujah, I am changed, I am free. And so many times then men and women get free. And then they go back to their wickedness for some reason. And the scriptures say it's like the pig that goes back to its slop, or it's like the dog who goes back to its vomit. And in the end, they're lost. Are only a few going to be saved? Yes. The majority of people will not be saved because they have not trusted in the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse and wash them. They've not trusted in the blood of Jesus to drink the blood of Jesus, to meditate upon him, to be filled with his presence. There is a place for us that is so far beyond anything I've ever been taught, so far beyond anything I've imagined. There is a place for us in Jesus, a place in Jesus. And who is Jesus? He's God. He's the Almighty. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He came and died on Calvary for you. My flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. I am not living because of my supplements that I take. I am not living because of my healthy lifestyle. I am not living because of my mental state. I am not living because of my working out at the club. I am living because I feast on the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I want you to hear this. This is not fanciful. This is real stuff. The blood of Jesus is available for you and it is real for you. Jesus loves you and he provides his blood to wash and cleanse and then to sustain and feed you. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate the manna and died. But he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. Now on hearing this, many of his disciples said this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? And some of you are having a very hard time with this. Because you want your normal American life and you want to add to it your sentimental Christianity. You can't do it. It won't work. 
You want to be a part of the modern church and its easy believism? You want to believe that your sins are all washed away, even though you still walk in sin? You want to believe that Jesus' blood just covers you, and when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see you, he sees himself? Those are all lies. They don't match the scriptures. Study the scriptures. Read them. Feast on the word of God. Feast on Jesus. He is the word. The Logos word. This written word. Feast on it. Feast on it. In the prayer closet. Cry out to Jesus until you know he has heard you and he has delivered you. There have been times in my past where I have spent many months, daily, hours, crying out to Jesus until he heard me and delivered me. That's how I can be here today. It's not my own doing. I had no wisdom to do this. I still have no wisdom I cry out to Jesus day and night, asking him, show me what to say today. Teach me what to say. I don't know what to say, Jesus. Well, we're out of time for today's broadcast. We're going to continue this tomorrow. I invite you to subscribe to our YouTube channel if you have not already done so. That will help the Google people to spread our message even more widely. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And and thank you, Theodore, and many others who have been giving so graciously to cover the cost of this radio broadcast. This is the work of the gospel, and it needs to go forward with power. And I trust Jesus to do that through you. So write to me, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box, 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. And go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, nationalprayerchapel.com. Our dear brother Ed Pugh keeps that up to date and does an awesome job. And brother Ed, if you're listening today, God bless you. Thank you for the many hours of labor, of love that you invest in this webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. I love you. I'm praying for you. I'll talk to you soon.